Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, July 9th, another manic Monday in the books, and what a Monday it was. It's almost impossible, dare I say, to follow all of the tennis. So many high-intensity round of 16 matches. You don't want to miss any of that action. Obviously, for you listeners who can't tell already, I apologize in advance. I seem to have also caught a case of the Berrettini Blues this weekend. You know, you shake so many hands over July 4th, you're bound to get a little bit sick. Someone gave me a dirty shake, so I apologize for that in advance. But the reason I did not take tonight off, did not call in a sick day, is because I am thrilled to do tonight's podcast with my doubles partner, partner in crime, and a man who has not been on a Cracked Rackets podcast in far too long, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman. Maxie, welcome back to the show. Well, it's a it's a nice excuse to say that the handshakes are the reason why you're feeling a bit under the weather. I, I, I don't want to say that the, the festivities are the reason, but... Uh, we all know you like to have a good time on July 4th, but it is nice to be back. Um, I was in the forest of Maryland uh, back at my lake house that I grew up going to. I haven't been in about 12 years, so kind of nice way to you know, separate myself from the world. I had no service out there, so that's why I was pretty much unable to do any potting. But there was television, and I got to watch all of the tennis, which is fantastic. So I, I do have lots of takes and thoughts well, then, with the that in week. mind, here's how we're going to start today's podcast. As you mentioned, you did not get to give your thoughts on all that was week one at Wimbledon. And since there are so many things that happened, Westoff, let's give Rothman, we'll say four minutes on the clock. Rothman, you ready to get your thoughts off? Yeah, I mean, I, there might be so many that, like, I, I, I might get, like, scrambled. So I, I we'll just, just start the clock. Let's just go. Let's just do All right, Westoff, give me that clock, please. So I, I guess I just start with the first round. <laughs> I mean, it's been so long. Look, the the first the whole week has been crazy. I don't think anyone's expected the quarterfinals that we have, you know, in front of us on on either the men's or the women's side. You know, I, uh, Guido Pea, Roberto Batista, Goot quarterfinals, pretty wild. Query being in the quarterfinal, you know, taking out team in that first round. That first round was weird. No Tsitsipas, no Zverev, no team. Who else didn't make it? Uh, no Shapo, although I don't know if, if that's necessarily surprising. No Monfils. Yeah, no Monfils. You know, just a, a kind of crazy first round um, on the men's side. And on the women's side, not necessarily the the most surprising first round. I think, you know, the, the Coco Goff upset, of course, over Venus was something. And yeah, I guess I can kind of talk about that for a second. Look, she's fantastic, and I'm I'm not trying to take away anything from her because she deserves everything from the last four rounds of tennis that she's played. She has proven that she can hang with the pros at this level. Uh, her serve is fantastic. She looks comfortable at the net. But I've argued with you about this, and I and I think that I mean it's funny because I was watching one of the matches her Herzog match uh, with my brother and there were some points in that third set where she looked like a she looked like a teenager and and she was pushing and had some shanks and and it just it, it was almost nice to see that that kind of tennis was still able to push through on the pro level I mean it it's scary because if that is you know something that you're seeing in her matches and she's making it to a fourth round Imagine when she, you know, smooths things out and, and picks up her game over the next few years. I mean, she's going to be dangerous. So, 
I, I know you've talked about her plenty and I don't need to talk about her too much, but so fun to, you know, see her kind of her success as a 15 year old. It's crazy. I also heard a funny story. I don't know if this is brought up on some of the mini breaks I have listened to most. Don't you worry. But um, I heard a story that her mixed doubles partner you know, after her win over Venus um, had a had a had a doubles partner before her. And he basically texted her and said, Hey, sorry, I'm out. I'm playing with Coco, which is which is great. Uh, just that was that was a funny little thing that that I heard. But uh, what what else happened in this week? Um, best match of the week: easily Nadal versus Kyrgios. That was so freaking entertaining. Uh, honestly, like, I know people think Kyrgios was being kind of a douchebag, but I think Nadal was being kind of a douche too, especially in that first set when. Uh, he was like taking his sweet time. Kyrgios, obviously ready. You're supposed to play to the server's pace. Absolutely ridiculous for for Nadal to, to just take the time that he did. He takes a bathroom break after the first set, and uh, clearly they were playing mind games. But uh, you know, at me if if you think there's any match that's better than than the Kyrgios Nadal match that was so fun to watch. Uh, and then throughout the week, of course, there's just been all these damn debates about who gets center court and. Who you know are, are the grass courts slower than the clay? And you know Nadal is saying that it's the balls that it, the balls are heavier at Wimbledon, and it's not the the courts never changed since two thousand and three. I just think it's funny how many of the the classic debates that we've had over you know however many years keep coming back over and over and over again. But uh, it it wouldn't be tennis if that didn't happen. Am I missing any? I'm obviously missing a lot. I don't, I don't know. Even well, for where the to, record, go. just under your four minute time limit, and I tried my best not to interrupt you. That's something I've been working on while we've been apart. Um, but <laughs> a couple a couple follow up questions I want to ask of you for the week one, since I didn't get to hear your opinion. Rivi Opelka third round match to Rayona. It's, just, Ooh, it's yeah. you know we we talk so much tennis that we try not to bother each other too often with our takes because we're like we'll just pot about it. But I got a text from you saying how disappointed you were from round three in Opelka. Uh, given that it's been a couple of days since his loss, with that added perspective, I still you know uh, earlier in the week on the mini break I said just the upside we saw from Riley Opelka that Stan Wawrinka high, even though he lost to Milos Raonic you know in the fashion he did, especially in sets two and three. You look back at it, and I'm I'm still so impressed with his run. Do you still feel a little bit disappointed by how it ended, Rothman, or have you kind of eased on that? No, I mean. I didn't, I didn't get to express my, you know, pleasure in, in seeing him succeed, and especially with that match over Vavrinka. Amazing to, to see him, you know, come through in a five-setter against someone like, you know, Stan the Man. But it, it is disappointing. I, I just wish I'd seen a little bit more, you know, mental fortitude from him in those second and third sets against Ranich. He just... I, he, he brings out that kind of sloppy, you know, carefree tennis... Uh, at times, and and that's when he you know just loses, and that's what I saw in those second two sets, and it, it just sucks because it was such a tight first set that seven six, and then he just it, he just lost it. Like it, that's those are the kind of matches where with a, a serve like that and against a guy like Randich, where you know if you can get a break in one of those games or even just take it to that tiebreak, it can flip right back, get that second set win, push it to a tiebreaker, even. You sh- you would have thought also like he just played a five setter against Wawrinka and sure maybe he was a little tired but he can do it he can go the distance and pull out a W I would have thought especially against a big server like Ranich that he could have thought all right screw it if I'm losing a 
If I'm losing these serve these return games quick, I don't care. I'm just gonna hold my serve, stay true. And I know Ranich played well, but it just I, I still am a little disappointed. I just think the way Raonic took time away from Opelka, it shows he's still a step away. Uh, you know, Stan was willing to play with him a little bit, kind of wait for an Opelka error, and if you give Opelka time, he's going to dominate. But yeah, I agree with you. I also think it's funny when you went through the weak issues you talked about, who's on what court, are the courts slow, that you were kind of like, ah, who cares about that? You know, we had Matt Zemek on yesterday's Mini Break podcast, and the perspective he's able to give on those sort of issues, much more in-depth, with all due respect, than you and I are able to, Rothman. But but from our fans' perspective, it feels like a lot of talk now is do these new rules, these new adaptations, all of these structural issues tennis is examining. Are, they're trying to examine them to appeal to a broader base of fans and a younger base of fans. I think your sentiment, because it echoes my sentiment, speaking as the young fan tennis is speaking to, who cares about those issues? Like, I completely agree. I'm trying to talk about the tennis. And I look, there's a ton of Manic Monday stuff to talk about. And I know people are kind of sick of the week one stuff. But one more question I want to ask you about week one. And by the way, feel free to follow up on whatever I said there, obviously. But uh, one follow-up question in terms of the next-gen players you talked about. You know, we lost Vera Tsitsipas early on. But we saw Medvedev lose a battle in the third round to Gofen. We saw Kachnov lose to Bautista Agut uh, just throughout the draw. You know, Ugo and Baird makes the fourth round, but not really a showing against uh, uh, Djokovic today versus the women's side where it seems so many young players, you know, regardless of the tournament. Last time it's Vondrasova making the t- uh, the final. This time it's Mukova, who at 22 years old obviously makes the quarterfinal here. Just quick summary of the next-gen performances, men and women's from your side, because I'm curious what you're thinking. Yeah, and, and real quick to, to really quickly talk about, you know, your point of who cares about the court stuff. Sure, I could go in depth about it, and and I, I've actually seen a lot of you know Matt's tweets about the court stuff, and you know I, I saw Nadal's interview question about you know whether Barty should have been on center court considering she's the world number one, and he goes you know it, with all due respect, uh, eighteen Grand Slams, and it's like okay, yeah, like I, of course he's. he's it's Nadal. Like, it's a stupid question to even talk about, you know, putting Barty well, in front of him. I understand why the question is asked, and it, it gets to bigger issues that, again, we I talked about for so long with Matt yesterday that I kind of just want to talk tennis with you today. But for I think, again, speaking for both of us, we're like, I just want to watch some good tennis. Like, I don't really yeah. – I get why people focus on those issues. And, yeah, if we can get rid of those issues, obviously the sport will be at a better place because then all we'll have to do is focus on the tennis. But it's like – it's a grand slam. Let me watch some tennis in peace. Look, I have ESPN Plus. I have yeah. multiple well, we're screens. Fortunate. And... Look, a lot of people though don't. That's the okay. real thing. As it's like okay. for the casual fan in it... Australia who's like, why? Or like, I want to watch Barty. But it's like the casual fan in Spain is like, but it's Rafa time. Like, what the, What are you doing? Okay, so if, if, you, if you are complaining enough that you want to see these other matches, spend $5, get ESPN Plus, and watch all the matches on all the courts. Stop complaining. Plus, but if you subsidize that, it subsidizes more media opportunities in tennis, and that's the sort of stuff we all would benefit from. So cool. I don't disagree with you. But seriously, it's these are the kind of matches that they need to win. You know, FAA with really a, a not a great loss against Umber. I know he's playing good tennis, but... You know, FA talked about being nervous uh, in his post-match interview, and see, I mean, that's the kind of thing that just shouldn't even exist. You you can't be nervous, especially with some of the the late late tournament results he's had. You know, I, I think it's kind of crazy that he even brought that up. But overall, the the, the women's side, the success that they've had with the next gens, 
you know, you you forget to mention people like Benchich, who who's also still a youngin. Um, and it's really fun to see all these next gens. And yeah, the, the women next gen have been outperforming the men next gen, and uh, I think they're they're making a case for, for the stronger group. So it's it's been fun to watch. I completely agree with you. And look, I think it was Jonathan Kelly who today tweeted out that David Goffin at like 28 years old being the youngest quarter finalist. He's the oldest, youngest quarter finalist at a major on the men's side, maybe ever. That speaks to that sort of turnover there on the women's side. As we mentioned, so many great results. And that leads us into our discussion on Manic Monday and all that was the round of 16 at Wimbledon. Uh, the match I want to start with, you know, getting back to our roots, Rothman, you and I have an affection for American tennis that obviously can't be denied. The match I want to start with, our matchup between two um, uh, two American players, the first round of 16 Grand Slam matchup between two American males, I believe since 1994, we have Sam Query taking on Tennis Sandgren. Neither guy, you know, seated coming into this tournament. We've seen Query obviously make a semifinal at Wimbledon before, uh, but you know, when he beats team in that first round, he makes the final the week before losing to Fritz. Yeah, the win over team good, but team's never been great on grass. And then just since that moment, he has really backed up his play. So, so confident, so decisive in the biggest moments. And that's how he ends up getting his 6-4-6-7-7-6-7-6 win over Tennis Sandgren in a match that featured only one break of serve. I mean, Rothman, I, regardless of, you know, I know Sam ends up winning this match, but the margin's so thin in this one. Oh, my God. I mean, ridiculous. You, I think you could have, you know, guessed that that, this, that that was what this match would end up being, just a match of a few points here or there. I mean, the, the stats, if you want to look at them, you know, do speak a little bit to, to the results. Query serves 66% to Sangren 65 and, tight there <clears throat> he has 25 aces to Sangren's 13 aces their their win on their first serve 83% for query to 79% for Sangren so these guys just holding serves as you said only one break point that's the other thing to add there both win 60% of their second serves as well literally that there were so few points for either guy to get a break of serve and that end game you know where query breaks in the first set he kind of just kind of fell into it Sandgren with a couple of sloppy unforced errors in the points query wins all of them on second serve returns and it's like literally it was that hard to get any traction and maybe it speaks to the fact that neither of these guys you know the most skilled returners you know this isn't Novak Djokovic out there but it does speak to the fact as you're saying they're playing decisive one two tennis Sam Query 74 winners against 39 uh, 39 unforced errors that speaks to me I see you know that's serving plus one tennis he goes to the net 75 times he had a game plan he executed it you know what? i'm gonna push back on you i i actually think that query gets on too much for his bad returning i actually don't think that his his return is as bad as people say a lot of times you give him that out wide forehand he cranks it back i've seen him do it multiple times this tournament and i know that you know, you can look at that as him just going for it because he isn't as comfortable returning, but I think that's ridiculous. He makes it more so than, this is, than people think. This is typical Rothman admiring a big forehand return. I completely disagree with you. And here's let me let me let me let me let me let me just use some evidence. Just trust me, just trust me, just trust me. No, no. I agree. And I'm gonna get to the backhand in a second. But Nick Kyrgios today in his press conference after the Nadal match said something very pointed to me, something that I think holds true to a lot of guys with big forehands, which is that Rafa made a targeted effort 
effort to serve to that forehand because it takes Nick Kyrgios so long to get a big cut on the forehand. And I think that's the same sort of thing with Sam Querrey's backhand. It's that same sort of effect where, yes, he can get it clean, but if you jam that side with pace, same thing with like the Francis Tiafos of the world, right? That's the side to jam on the return. Now to what you were saying before we started going, blah, 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 I agree with you. His backhand return today, I mean, out in front, perfect depth. Like, he took it early. He took it down the line, took time away from Sandgren. That's how he was able to be the aggressor. And look, it's not as though he broke serve that often. He only broke serve once. But in those tiebreakers, it's one, two return advantages. That's how you win the match. And I agree. He came up with the goods in those moments. Yeah, but but see, I okay, I, I hear you about, you know, Nadal saying he's going to go to the Kyrgios forehand. But Kyrgios is a bigger backswing than than Query. I think Query's forehand is more compact. Same with his backhand. Backhand is more compact. And I'm, and and my point and was Kyrgios is yes pretty equal. But sorry, the that, backhand the backhands are close. But I'm just saying in general, I I think that Query's game plan on the return on those forehands at times is just to be a little bit more aggressive. And I think that people look at it as being wild and I don't I think he's very successful on those forehand returns often and, and I've, I I was purely saying I think people rip on his return game more than they should he he actually tends to to get a lot of those balls back that was purely well, I think the- that's that's just a product of people getting angry with American 2010's tennis. Him, Isner, at the forefront of that. You think a lot of big serves, uh, not a lot of success on clay. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. It plays into that stereotype. But look, for Sam, and we've talked about how important it is to do this on a grass court before, but the way he changed directions in this match, again, 74 winners against 39 unforced errors. That ratio, you know, a 2-to-1 ratio to when you're hitting to that extent, when it, the winner count is 74, not like 25. That is ridiculous, and you know. Similarly, I mentioned he goes to the net seventy-five times in this match. He wins fifty-three percent, uh, fifty-three of those occasions, a seventy-one percent conversion rate on the Sandgren side. Look, he only got broken serve once. He did a lot of things right. And for tennis Sandgren, what I think I I can take away now, and look, he's 27, 28 years old. Uh, I don't know how much better he's going to get, but this is a guy who physically uh, just so fit. The three out of five set format clearly benefits him. Uh, You know, this is his second deep run at a major, and given how few the opportunities are, small sample size, but it speaks to the fact that this format will always play well for him. I thought he did a really good job moving the balls to the outside outer third getting uh, query stretched but as you mentioned query just would go big down the line in those occasions and today he didn't miss yeah I'm with you and the thing that I I think is just important to look at for both guys are their routes to this point query takes out team first round obviously a huge upset takes out Rublev second round in straights which is not an easy thing to do Rublev big hitter yeah big hitter on the grass hits a, a low ball I think is tough to do Millman, you know, I, I think that's a, a win that I would expect from Query on the grass. And well, very similar to Sandgren, right, in that he's not going to hurt you too much. You're going to have your chances, but you have to execute. Yeah, I mean, I think Sandgren's got more weapons than Millman. Millman, you know, is a little bit of a loopier ball than Sandgren. Sandgren has has a nice slice. I think Sandgren has, has the net game if need be. Uh, I think he's more dangerous than a Millman. I agree he's better at the volleying. I would say Millman's ground strokes a little more oomph to them. Sandgren, the thing that I think Query, the, the thing that helped Query is even when Sandgren found the outer third, sometimes with his forehand because it is so wristy, and look, he can really generate pop with it, 
but he can also leave it short, right? When Query found pace to that side, he could leave it a little short. But we don't need to debate Sandgren versus Query. I agree with you, big picture. This is great runs for both of them. And I did want to mention first tennis Sandgren uh, coming into this tournament. He was ranked number 94 with his fourth round appearance. He's going to get up to 71. He is now going to get into most, if not, you know, maybe everything but Cincinnati and the Rogers Cup in terms of events he wants to play at the ATP 250 level this summer. That is critical for him. And for Sam Query, look, obviously he's still alive in this tournament, but this is the first breath of fresh air for him in about a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, look, Query's had a lot of success at Wimbledon. He's made a quarterfinal here in 2017, made a semifinal here in, what was it, 2016? Or was it, yeah, it was 2016. So I may have flipped those, but either way, he's made a quarterfinal and semifinal, you know, in the last three years. This has been a place where he's had a lot of success. And really quickly before we move on, just Sangren's run here. He takes out Simone in the second round, takes out Fonini in the round before this. So both guys just with great routes to this, you know, fourth round. And I just credit to, to both of them for playing really good tennis this week. Yeah, and look, I what would a podcast be without two Jonathan Kelly references, but another uh, great point from him on Query. You look at the dividing points if you divide his career into three segments. Uh, the first portion of his career for Query from 2006 to 2010, Sam Query, six ATP titles, five ATP finals, zero slam quarterfinals. From 2011 to 2015, one ATP title, two ATP finals, no slam quarterfinals. Now from 2016 to now, three ATP titles, two other finals, and four slam quarterfinals appearances. I don't know what that says about Sam Query, the tennis player, but just a remarkable, again, this this run these last couple of weeks seems to have come out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, it, it's weird. He His game is so up and down, and uh, the one thing I will say, grass has been one of his favorite surfaces, has the highest win percentage on grass of any surface he's played on, 63.4% win percentage on grass, does have a title here. Uh, or excuse, not here, but on the grass at Queens Club back in 2010. So part of that uh, little stretch of success that he had that you mentioned. So look, I I think he clearly likes it here. He this this is the kind of surface and the kind of atmosphere that he's been you know successful on. Yeah, and to those saying slow, co- you know these courts are playing slow. It's not like Sam Queer's any good on grass or any good on clay. Like, I mean, I would say for the, your argument about the win percentage, he's had a lot more opportunities to lose on those other surfaces. Of course. But at the same time, like, obviously a fast surface that plays, you know, low and low and quick, it's going to play well to him. So I agree with you. But speaking of people who have had success on grass, another, uh, you know, query made an ATP final. This player won in a 100K WTA event earlier in the year. She comes into this third round or into this fourth round with a win over Belinda Bencic and three three set wins in her first three matches. Allison Risk, who probably scores the win of the day with her three six six two six three win over number one seed and French Open champion Ashley Barty uh, Rothman. I, I say this lovingly, if there's anyone I would rather play doubles with than you, it might be Allison Risk, because watching her take returns early today, the firepower she plays with, her willingness to go down the line at any time and follow that ball in, I love to talk about another player who's obviously game fits so well on this surface. Yeah, I mean, her strokes are just perfect for re- returns, doubles, and So grass. out in front and early. It's, like, exaggerated. She, like, really – it's incredible. I mean – You have to watch it. Of course. And, you know, it. it is incredible as far as the contact point. I'm not personally the biggest fan of – 
you know, the aesthetic of her. That's what I'm her... saying. I can't believe it works. Yeah, it's no. Like, it's unbelievable. I, I feel like she's going to be late every single time she hits the ball. <laughs> it, I know. Like, and then, but it's early. But it's like you hit it perfect. Like you caught that ball early. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic example of not being able to understand how – you know, the, the technique of tennis works just by watching someone hit. That's why so many kids ruin their forehands trying to copy Nadal because they think, oh, he just brushes up on the ball like a maniac. No, mm-hmm. if you watch it, his elbow drives all the way through before any, you know, brush over the ball happens. So same with her. I mean, I bet it, I bet if you watched it in that slow motion, you'd see that elbow extend out the racket through the ball. And, and like you said, that really, uh, you know, out front contact point. But that was what's, you know, was allowed her to be so successful today against Barty. I mean, so many down the line forehand winners where, you know, a few cross court balls and then able to take that ball early, push it down the line, helped her be so successful. This is her uh, fourth, you know, come from behind first set loss to win in three. So she's had, you know, some success just, you know, pushing through after losing that first round. And for Barty, super surprising. She's been playing so well this tournament. Her first few rounds, you know, four and two against Zhang. Her second round, one and three. Her third round, one and one. Uh, I thought there was really no question about this match, even though Risk took down Bencic. Very, very surprised to see this result. To your point on Ashley Barty, having watched this match, I don't even think she played that poorly. Allison Risk just took it no, to her. No, and, and Barty played... even said that in in the post match interview. She said, "Look, I lost to a better player today," and I I kind of agree. Like it was almost yeah. it was weird. Like I I don't think and I saw anything Barty, that was though, you know glaring as an issue. I love watching Ashley Barty play. Oh, Mad Zemek, and he said it. He said it. You know, don't take this over over the top. He's not saying they're going to have the same level of success over their careers, but he said Ashley Barty is the female singles equivalent of Roger Federer in that she can hurt you in so many different ways. Every skill in the book, she's got it. Now, obviously, she's got the two-handed backhand, uh, but the biggest stat that sticks out to me, the gap between her first serve and second serve win percentages, she wins 82% of her first serves, only 30 percent of her second serve points we already talked about how good risk was on the returns but when you're only making 51 percent of those first serve uh, of your first serves you can't have that sort of disparity and look because risk was able to take advantage of the point she or take the initiative she was able to come to the net 27 times convert 20 of those compared to Barty, who only gets there 16 times and wins eight of them she goes in efficient four four on break points to Barty's two of five 30 winners against 15 unforced errors a much more reasonable two to one ratio than Barty, who goes twenty seven winners to twenty five errors. Yeah, I agree. Barty put it best. It's not that she did anything poorly, and I mean she could have found different ways to play strike first tennis. You have to imagine with those backswings. I feel like Barty should have played more to the risk forehand. She played way too often to the backhand, and Allison risks backhand down the line, especially in that second set, just lights out. Uh, but still, Allison Risk, I mean, again, you talked about who she beat. She beat Vekic first round, a seeded player. She beats Bencic, then Barty. I, I mean, now she's got Serena, but it feels like the gods are saying, you know, Allison Risk, your time is now. We're going to present you each challenge, and each time you're going to rise to the occasion. Yeah, and, and I, I have to – the only thing I can think about as you were reading off all those stats, we mention this almost every tournament, uh, the different tournaments and their websites. Wimbledon website – Oh my goodness, you are Westoff, give me a round beautiful. of applause for them, please. Seriously, I mean I am I'm, I'm listening to you read off these uh different stats and, 
and I'm looking at it. I mean, not only do we have winners and unforced errors, we have uh, distance covered. If you if you want to go and, and look at the rally stats, they'll tell you how many approach shots, uh, forehand winners there are, how many drop shot winners, how many ground stroke winners on both sides. Can I, I mean, it's just amazing. Can I just say quickly though, some of those a little suspect because I've watched some of the matches. Yeah, and it just it does those, but but in general, distance covered, distance per point. It's like if Wimbledon can do it, can we not just have the other Grand Slams like call them and be like, yo. Like what's the deal? Like what server you guys? You, you got? I don't know any website servers, but are you on the free one? You on Pinecast, the Pinecast <laughs> equivalent? Oh, that's cool. Like send us the link, please. Like I'm down. Do we get fifteen percent off if we use your promo code? Like oh, awesome. I'm in. I'll set up the website there. Like it's unbelievable. But to your point about some of the stats they do have, and I meant to read this on the query side, but I'll get back to it. For Ashley Barty, who who you look at her stats for the tournament through four matches, she's number one in terms of first serve points won, eighty five percent for the tournament. Uh, you look at uh, for at, or for Allison Risk on the counter side. She is, you know, one of the top returners still available or still left in this. She has won seventy eight percent or seventy eight receiving points on the first serve, which is good for sixth in the tournament. You look at second serve points. She's number one in the rankings. She's won one hundred eighteen second serve points. Petra Kvitova is second place. Guess how many she's won. Leave the silence in. I don't, 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 don't want to be. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be like so. So off. 75, 75. And now we should say Risk has played three set matches in all four of her matches, so that definitely plays a factor. But Allison Risk is bludgeoning second serve returns, and it's like you're playing Serena next. Serena is you know at the top of all of these percentages as well in terms of you know first serve points one, first serve percentage. I think you look at. Her first serve uh, percentage points one. She is number seven right now at 75%. So another huge challenge for her uh, in Allison Risk. But, like, again, we can end this here. Her level as good as any player in the tournament, right? Yeah, and I think with, like you said, with her return game, I think it's going to pose tough for Serena. Serena, who typically relies on her serve to get her through a lot of those games, is gonna see that it's she's she's got a challenge in front of her as far as the returns coming back. So it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be really exciting to watch these two play. Uh, I completely agree with you. Well, two players who did not have any trouble returning the ball in their matchup today. One of the best matches of the tournament. We almost had our first 12-all super breaker of the event, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I suppose, depending on the perspective. In the battle of Carolinas, Carolina Mukova knocks out number three seed, and you could argue favorite heading into Manic Monday. Carolina Pliskova, 4-6-7-5-13-11. Now, you can, you know, there will be people who say this was a lost opportunity for Pliskova. There will be people who say, you know, for her to have the opportunity she did, I, I don't know how she, you know, just a, another wasted chance, another lost opportunity for her to get a grand slam the way withdrawal was opening. But I want to focus, focus on Karolina Mukova, who, in my opinion, I mean, I don't know where the WTA is finding these 22-year-olds, but it's like, hey, can the ATP borrow one? Like, maybe, like, I guess we have zero and Tsitsipas, but, like, can we get, like, what are they doing at the slams? Can we do, like, a big tennis? They do the ATP University. I think it's time for them to stop being an all-boys school. I think it's t- time for us to accept the women into our ATP University and figure, figure out figure out, figure out how, how they're making Dude, it's these not even about needing more on the ATP side. We just need ours to be successful. The, the WTA found a way to make their 22-year-olds successful. I mean, look, she hasn't, she hasn't even played a Wimbledon, and her first Wimbledon— 
fourth Grand Slam. Her fourth Grand Slam and, and ever. Her first three, she makes a first round at Aussie, makes a second round at Roland. First, second, yeah, third round. First, second, right? uh, yeah, and, and makes a third round at the U.S. Open in 2018. Then a first round in Australian this year. Second round at Roland Garros this year. And now she's in a freaking quarterfinal. What the hell? Like it's, it, I just... I just don't get it. And you look at the things she did well. Uh, you know, again, I keep referring to the Matt Zemeck pods, which you guys should really go listen. But one of the arguments we keep having back and forth, he, he points to the passivity of some of these top players. Maybe not necessarily Tsitsipas, but you can see when a Zverev or a Kachanov or a Medvedev or a Chorich get in these big moments, they don't have a definitive weapon to turn to. They'll either just slap their way into problems or they'll be so far behind the baseline that they'll give up the uh, the advantage, the aggressive uh play that they're both you know that, that they're all known for for Mukova I mean she was on top of everything from ball one and look she makes 63 percent of her first serves uh wins 73 percent of those points goes uh, 27 of 41 at the net converting 66 percent of those gets 13 break points converts six of them 54 winners against 43 unforced errors what all of those numbers to- tell me is that regardless of the circumstance her first fourth round at a major she's playing one of her role models uh you know one of the top players from her country ever and she's like you know what Fuck it I'm hitting through this I'm going for my shots and it worked it did it absolutely did and and look uh, I want to go back to your point of you know talking about whether this is a missed opportunity for Pliskova and it is it, really this was a match that she should have won she had momentum going into that first set and the I think everyone expected bigger things I, I, I honestly if I, I almost bet on Pliskova to win this tournament going in and this was a chance for her and I don't want to take any way, anything away from Mukova, who played fantastic tennis, especially at that 11-12 break game. How nice How nice is her forehand down oh, the line? Oh, it's beautiful. But, so which one? I just love the—she goes out and gets it. It's, I, again, we've used this way too lightly, but the contact point, you're just like, that's, that's how you're supposed to do, do, you, do it. Do you want a Mukova or a risk forehand down the line? I mean, aesthetically, Mukova, <laughs> well, okay. but more likely for someone like me. I mean, you I, are, I would you say— You are the Allison Risk. I am the Allison <laughs> Risk of club tennis. I completely agree. <laughs> Except for, I would say, my backhand's a little more pure. Whatever you want to think, Alex. I mean, obviously, hers is more pure because she just beat Ashley Barty in the Wimbledon yes. round of 16. But aesthetically, I like mine a little bit more. But, yes, my forehand and her forehand, mine's just like, if her forehand didn't work, it would look like mine. A hundred percent. It's— <laughs> um, but to the Mukova, thirteen eleven Pliskova. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying her her ability to be clutch at that eleven twelve game to get that break. I mean, you got to give it to her. It, it was super super impressive. And for Pliskova, what makes me so upset about this result? Look, she won fifty or she had fifty one inners, winners against thirty nine unforced errors. She had twelve breakpoint opportunities, converted five of them. She went to the net fifty one times herself and won thirty five of those points for sixty nine percent conversion rating. She was right there for this match, and it's just you know how many times do we have to say Pliskova is never going to be the most flexible player. She's not going to always be able to track down the extra ball. But Grass obviously should play for her so well. That's why her expectations at this event always so high. And she was right there. She was hitting through the court. She was moving forward, hitting overheads, you know, redirecting balls. But 
for Mukova, I mean, you look at the distance covered in this match. She obviously had to play. There's always, you know, you look at the distance, 38 feet for Pliskova, 40.3 feet for Mukova. What that shows me is Mukova literally was always tracking down that one extra ball. And when the total point differential is 146 to 140, you know, that sort of mindset to track down the extra ball, but then still be aggressive when you have your chances, it's a special quality. And again, put her on the list of, players to watch moving forward. I mean, forward. special quality for a 22-year-old. And the last thing I want to say about Pushkova, just given that we a lot of us have high expectations for her, especially on this surface, she's made a semifinal of every other Grand Slam besides Wimbledon, has not made it past a fourth round at Wimbledon. She makes the fourth round last year. Prior to that, hadn't made it past a second round here. So clearly something is just not clicking for her on the grass. And I don't know. We'll we'll have to see what what she can do to to you know get some more success in the grass moving forward. See counterpoint. It w- it is clicking again. I, I I I'm not. You know what? I'm not going to re- refer to another Matt Zemek thing that we <laughs> talked about. Just go listen to the pod. But we talked about the scales of loss. Yeah, her, this loss has to hurt her. But Mukova played great. Like I, I I don't I don't think you can take anything away from that. But with that being said, another player who who's just found her form of late continues to play better and better it seems like as these slams uh number 19 seed joe conta semi-finalist at the french open she's at her home event obviously in wimbledon and performing for these fans knocking off number six seed and another favorite coming into this event uh petra kvitova four six six two six four i mean joe conta I'm going to say it again. Another player, aesthetically, I don't love her ground strokes. A little wristy, a little springy from the body. But the way she was able to stretch Kvitova to the outer thirds, and look, Petra Kvitova will hit the ball as hard as any player on the WTA Tour. You you know, the game plan is clear. You have to get her stretch. But the discipline it requires to do that on a grass court, especially when you're losing 42% of your your second serve points, when you go down a first set, and now you think, you know, mentally Kvitova can take a few more chances because she has a lead to play with. I mean, that's just a special performance from Kanta. Yeah, and like you said, you know, Kanta did a great job moving Vitova around the court. But so such a different type of match that we saw in this match versus the match we just talked about with Pushkova and Mukova. Distance covered for Pushkova and Mukova was 30, about 3,500 meters per person, covering about 12 meters per point. Versus this match... 1,600 meters covered between the two of them. And and yes, I know that the other match was longer, but significantly more distance covered, especially per point. The points were a little bit shorter here, which I actually would have thought would have benefited Kvitova. Completely agree. But like you said, Conta did a very good job winning the crucial points. She served 66%, you know, wins 73% of those first serves, and, uh, you know, comes clutch with winning four of her nine break point opportunities so look this is also a match that was really close 98 total points for her versus Kvitova's 91 this came down to a few points here and there and and those few break point opportunities that she had yeah Kvitova's got to be smacking herself for going two of ten on break points that's just you can't do that in a major fourth round you know neither player wins many uh second serve points both going 42 percent Kanta on 15 of 36 Kvitova on 14 of 33 you look at the amount of first serves Kanta hit 107 to Kvitova's 82 
Again, Kvitova was in so many of Conta's service games, and she just could not execute, and that was because Conta got to that extra ball. You know, 22 winners against 21 unforced errors. When you're playing someone with as much firepower as Petra Kvitova, that's that survivor mentality. That's going to get the job done. And look, you look for Joe Conta. She's one of what? I mean, Serena, you take Serena out of the equation. She's one of two other players. Oh, I guess Simona Halep as well. But she's one of the few players who have made a semifinal here at Wimbledon. She understands what it takes when you get to this level of the tournament. And given that she made the semifinal of the last major, you. I mean, again, who's the favorite at this point at Wimbledon? I don't know on the WTA side. Do you? I mean, I think it's hard to say anyone but Serena. Uh, seriously, like, how, how do you how do you bet against her having been in this position? I don't think you can say risk is going to beat her. And Conta, you know, I, I think is favored in this next match against Rakova. But Svitolina Mukova's tight, and I think Halep could be the the next favorite after Serena. I, I don't know. I, I think that's... Yeah, but you just think Simona Halep on grass maybe doesn't have the weapons to beat us, Serena, but we don't know. You know, again, this is what have we seen from Serena thus far that makes us think... Nothing. Know, like, yeah, but she, she is... No, no, no. That's not true. She's looked great at Wimbledon, but I'm saying we haven't seen her in a major final in a little bit. Right, but she's also been in, like, 30 of them, so... <laughs> yeah, she's Serena, but, Serena freaking Williams. But like you were saying about Kvitova, she's won Wimbledon twice... And she, you know, was the she's the 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 last uh, was the last seed of the top five before her. All the other top five seeds were out, and so you know, again, another opportunity, missed opportunity in my opinion to, you know, not missed, but it, look, she had Strakova in the quarterfinals to, for a chance at Serena in the semis. I mean, that's that's a tough loss. I agree with you, and look, you talk about Serena in the semis. That's kind of a perfect place to transition to our other winners on the day. Uh, we'll start with the women's side. As we mentioned, Serena, 6-2, 6-2 winner over number 30. Now it's just a uh, beat Carla down. Suarez, Navarro. I mean, yeah, that's Serena. Serena's finding her range, and it's like she's got the mixed doubles so for a little fun on the side with Andy Murray. There's all reasons for her to be in a good place mentally, a good place physically coming into this portion of the year. She hasn't played that many matches. Uh, she's talked about how hard she trained for this Wimbledon, given all of that time off. Uh, she says she's feeling better about herself than she had in a very long time. I mean, it's all the telltale signs that, you know, she had Coco Goff pushing her. Serena, I, I'm saying this sarcastically and lovingly, and I'm not trying to be, you know, rude. But, you know, if I'm Serena Williams and I see Coco Goff having success, I'm like, don't think I'm done. Like, I'm not ready to give up the stage. This is the exact sort of fuel I needed in my fire. Like, thank you, Coco. Let's ball. Like, let's do this thing. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what Serena's been doing. Uh, any, any other thoughts on the Serena match? No, I, I, it's funny that you say that. I think everyone was, you know, Secretly, not even secretly, everyone deep down was hoping that Coco somehow made some miracle run to the finals so we could watch a Serena Coco oh, final. For sure, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure Serena was like, if this little girl thinks she's making the final and beating me, no, you... this young woman, this young woman. <laughs> You're right, because she's Crap. not little and she's not a girl. <laughs> she is, she, and she beat Venus. <laughs> yeah, she beat my sister. Yeah. So I'm I'm right there with you on on the Serena train. She's she's ready to show everyone that she's back and she's ready to win this thing. 
uh, and it's the best sort of Serena. So, you know, WTA always in a good place with a successful Serena. You look at some of the other things, they have to be happy. Number seven seed, Simona Halep, salvaging the bottom half of the draw. She ends the run of Coco Goff, 6-3, Rothman, you gave your piece on Goff earlier, and, you know, we've talked about her all week long. But suffice it to say, for Simona Halep, just th- that level uh, per point, it's so hard for anyone to reach it. But when you're 15 years old, to have to keep up with someone who just physically, you know, every ball is coming back with a decent amount of depth, decent amount of pace. You're just, it's hard to do. And for Coco, yeah, just a dream run comes to an end. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it a little bit in my initial rant. Coco at times has some shank forehands that, you know, are loopy. And, and my brother and I were talking about this. If that was Serena, she'd be demolishing those balls. And, Simona did the same thing uh, when she had those opportunities where there's some loopy, loopy balls from Coco. You know, she took him down the line. She she took him deep, and uh, that was the difference. But yeah, it was just a little too much for Coco to handle. I agree with you. And you look at the other results again. Elena Svitolina, the number eight seed, knocks out Martich six four six two. Svitolina really playing better as the tournament has progressed. She wins her first match five and zero, then was down in her second match a set up six five in the second when her opponent had to retire. A three-set win over Sakari in the third. Now she gets this win in straight sets. She'll match up with Mukova. And to be honest, you know, for Svitolina, yeah, she's the number eight seed here. But she hasn't had that much success at the major. She has made four other major quarterfinals, though. Uh, but she was 5-6 and six overall coming into Wimbledon uh, before this year's event. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, again, may, make the case. I'll believe you. Yeah, it's it's gonna be. I think this is gonna be tight. I'm actually curious. Um, as we speak, I'm looking up the uh, the Bovada lines for this next round. I think they're gonna have this as a, as a pretty. So Svitolina, Svitolina. Actually, it's hold that line for the when we preview our quarterfinals because we'll do that at the end. But yes, definitely Sounds check good. that out now in terms of the other matches. Strickova, a semifinalist here, I believe, in twenty. For our quarterfinalist in 2014, she knocks out Elise Mertens, the number 21 seed, 467562. Shui Zhang uh, knocks out 19 year old Diana Yastremka, 641662, uh, to set up the quarterfinals on the women's side. On the men's side, you know, I, I know people in the cracked racket circle accuse me of anti Djokovic Federer Nadal bias. It's true. Uh, and to be honest, it's yeah, it's a fair it's a fair accusation. I'm not anti them. Again, it's just like I want to talk about the other things as well. You guys know how good Djokovic is. You know how good Federer and Nadal are. Their numbers, their stats speak for themselves. Uh, all of them straight sets winners today. I don't think any of their matches went over two hours for Djokovic, six three, six two, six three over the young Frenchman Hugo Herbert Umbert for Federer, you know, there's a lot of Ooh, Berrettini's played pretty well. Maybe he can make a run. And nope. Not the case today. Six one six two six two from Federer. Nadal looks at Joe Sosa. He says six two six two six two win from him. Uh, some a fun stat for you, Rothman, just from our ATP stat uh, from the ATP. I believe the media info account. They tweeted some of the numbers for Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Here's the loving I'll give them for all those people who say I'm, I'm biased. Let's start with Wimbledon for Federer. Seventeenth quarterfinal. Djokovic, 11th quarterfinal. Nadal, 7th quarterfinal. In total at Grand Slams, Federer, 55th quarterfinal. Djokovic, 45th quarterfinal. Nadal, 39th quarterfinal. You know the title counts. 20 for Fed, 18 for Nadal, 15 for Djokovic. You look at the semifinal counts, they're all over 30. You look at the final counts, they're all over 24. I mean, I guess I'll frame it like this. 
which of these three guys has impressed you the most, I guess, thus far in Wimbledon? Nadal. Really? All right, give the case. That's interesting. I didn't expect that from you. Yeah. Um, his... You really liked that Kyrgios match. <laughs> I, I did. I mean, it, it was it was really fun to watch. But I think Nadal coming off the clay and, and with his victory, I, I think it's sometimes hard to, to come off that W, come onto the grass, and, and adjust. And I think of the three of them, he's adjusted the best absolutely dominated Sousa 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. The Sangha match, and I, and I literally texted you this after it, I, I, I said, it's hard to be a, a Sangha fan, and I used to be a huge Sangha fan. I mean, Sangha couldn't do anything. So, Nadal was getting to every single ball. It almost looked like his movement was as good as he is on clay, which is, you know, pretty crazy for me to even say out loud. I really just am truly impressed with Nadal's movement. I feel like he's gotten to every single ball. He doesn't look slow at all out there. And his ability also to, to change direction. I'm seeing him stretched out wide. He's pull, He's changing from defense to offense better than at either of the other two. And, you know, granted, Djokovic, I don't feel like has been tested very much. But I truly am just impressed with Nadal's, you know, truly just with his uh, level of play right now. I think that's very fair, and so you made the case for him. Real quick on the Roger Federer notes that we don't leave him out. Federer, with his win now, advances uh, to 16-0. and Oh, no, no, I think oh, 16-0 and all-time in Wimbledon fourth rounds. It's his 17th quarterfinal, but one of the years he got a withdraw. Fun fact from the HP Media Info again, Matteo Berrettini became the 340th player to play Roger Federer and the 325th to lose to him. Of the 15 men to face and not lose to Federer, only two are still active, Evgeny Donskoy and Tanasi Kokonakis, and both of those two players beat Federer in third set tiebreakers. So that speaks, again, you want to know how good Roger Federer is? That's that in a nutshell. That's how good he is. But for me, the guy who's been the most impressive, I think you have to say it's Novak Djokovic. And look, his draw has broken perfectly, right? Everything he could have wanted, uh, you know, he beats Cole Schreiber in straight sets. That could have been tough, but he plays great there. Tough matchup versus Kudla, uh, but nope, Djokovic makes it look easy, straight sets. Hubie Hercatch puts an inspired performance, plays outstanding tennis. Djokovic puts on the gas and sets three and four, says, nope, this is what a Grand Slam champion looks like. Young guy, good try. He plays Ugo Umbert, straight sets. He's like, please, good, good try. You did your best, but not happening today. I mean, given how poor, you know, he made the French Open semifinals, but uh, just his his run throughout the clay season lost in a final in the Italian Open to Nadal uh, wins Madrid uh, but then you know Monte Carlo loses quarterfinals to Medvedev doesn't win Miami doesn't win Indian Wells uh, just for him to sort of regain that spark it just looks like this is the Novak Djokovic who win locked in you're like yeah you're not beating him three out of five yeah I mean I think we're easily going to see him in a final and you know, we were looking at the the betting odds earlier. Minus one fifty to take him to win the tournament is looking real. Feels good. a little low. Feels a little low. A little low, really. As in, feels like we should make some action there. I mean, oh, you I put him minus. I, I you up to minus two fifty. I mean, I don't have that sort of money to blow. But if I'm Kale Hammond and I'm rolling with the big shots, I could convince someone to make a minus two fifty bet on Djokovic. Easy. Um, I bet there are people all over the world who would take that, but 
also really quickly just to get back to the Fed thing, and I know you you messaged me saying we probably won't have time for Twitter Tuesday. Just funny after the Berrettini match, uh, there was a little tweet that uh, brought up. You know, afterwards he got, he asked Fed how much he owes him for the lesson that Federer gave him <laughs> after that loss, which I just think is hilarious considering prior to the match Berrettini was saying how he thinks he has the weapons to beat Federer, which is just you know laughable at this point, but. I thought that was a See, funny little tidbit. I was, I'm not going to say I'm, I was all in on the Berrettini hype, but I was hoping he'd get a set. Yeah, it was me just too. like, It was just like, ugh. His movement. Like, uh, it was just the movement on the grass was not there. Uh, it's unbelievable. But some of the other results, K, pencil me into the quarterfinals until I lose to one of the top seeds. Nishikori makes another ATP Grand Slam quarterfinal, knocking out Mikhail Kokushkin 6-3-3-6-6-3-6-4. Now, that may have been a little unfair to Nishikori, as he obviously did make a slam final at the U.S. Open all those years ago. Dude, uh, but this was I, a match. I, that I almost wanted to break down because it actually was such good tennis. Kukushkin was yeah. ripping the ball. He was taking the ball so early. So I mean, early. him, Thomas Fabiano, I'm not trying to typecast, but all these short, Dennis Kudlow, these short, stocky guys who were just taking balls early, driving down the line. Honestly, him and Mukova had that same sort of, I'm going down the line with this forehand with no shame, and like if I make it, way to go. If not, whatever, I, I feel no shame. And he was making it today. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he was going his uh, break in the second set that that three four game. He hit this one forehand down the line, and it was just so beautiful. It was like a twenty ball rally, and he just took it down. Oh, he looked great. He was so funny. I mean, so look again. Preface: Mikhail Kukushkin's footwork obviously better than mine. But sometimes he runs around the forehand, and you're like, ooh, I think his little feet aren't going to make it around this one. And then he makes it around the inside in, and he just whacks it inside in, and you're like, oh, my oh God. God. Like, the body turn, the way he opens up his torso, I'm just like, I would have torn my hip three times had I tried to make that one motion. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, really good match. Real quick on Ishikori, I know I, I had a little dig on him, but, I mean, again, how do you beat this? Like, unless you're really, really f***ing good, how do you beat him? You you beat Roger Federer. You hit drop shots. You bring him <laughs> into the net. You you have to change it up. But look, exactly. Kukushkin. That was the problem, right? Kukushkin didn't change it up. It was all the same pace. It was cross court rallies. You know, line he, drive. He tennis. won. Yeah, he won the points hitting. You know, yeah, crazy big fair. forehands down the line. Like yes, how do you beat Nishikori? You change it up. You you throw in a bunch of slices. You you throw in some rollers, you know, out wide, hit drop shots, you come into the net. Yeah, you, you got to be different. Or you know, you you be one of these massive guys like a Opelka, and you hit bomb serves and bomb forehands. <laughs> Look, I I agree with you, and uh, you know, to get, and we'll see him. You know, he'll have another shot at another seed, and maybe this is the time he gets through. Um, but we'll preview those men's matches. I think tomorrow. Uh, uh, the other matches on the men's fourth round today: David Goffin, a seven six two six six three six four winner over Fernando Verdasco. Another guy in Goffin. We know what he was capable of, but hasn't had the level of success he had in 2017 since then for him to make a quarterfinal here following up that final he made in Hala. Look, if there was a player who, like, you had a blind test of a tennis fan and you were like, what surface would this player be best on? You'd be like, oh, yeah, probably grass. Like, this guy can do a little bit of everything. Like, there's no weaknesses. He moves well. He changes directions well. He's not afraid to move forward. The first serve's got enough pace to where he can play first strike tennis. He's neutralizing returns. I love David Goffin's game. 
He to you, me, he has replaced Jill Simone. Yeah, exactly. He's replaced Jill Simone in my I will always have a soft spot for this style of play player. Yeah. Plus, I, plus he was the player who lost to Andy Murray when we clinched our first Davis Cup title in years. We. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah. look, he looked so good. This is bringing him back into the top 20 for the first time in a bit. This is you know only his third Grand Slam quarterfinal. He hasn't made it to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. So, really good for him. You know, I, I, he's got to look at this as a huge opportunity, uh, especially, you know, to, to try and take out Djokovic and, and make a huge statement here. I agree with you, and you look at these last two results. Uh, Roberto Bautista, the number 23 seed, a straight set winner, 6-3, 7-5, 6-2 over Ben Rupert. He looks good, man. He's the only player on the men's side to have not lost a set thus far in singles. And a little stat for you, although I'm curious, misleading stat or good stat? Before the age of 30, RBA had not made a single major quarterfinal in his career. He has been to two now in 2019. But before that, he had reached nine fourth rounds in majors before he turned 30. Does that stat have validity to you, you know, these two quarterfinals? Are they that a significant of a step, or in your opinion, is this kind of, you know, we've seen this from him before? Yeah, no, he. I think this is a little bit of, the, of you know, a nature of A little bit draw. of both, right? Yeah, I, I, look, when when you have a fourth round against Ranich, uh excuse me, a fourth round against uh Benoit pair like yeah absolutely like that that's the kind of draw where you get to uh, you know have a chance at getting into a quarterfinal I bet you know RBA as the 23 seed has often come up in those fourth rounds against uh, Federer and Adala Djokovic which is you know easily why he may not have made a quarterfinal up into this point but look we've seen him like you said he's been in however many fourth rounds between 2015 and 2017 yeah what there were nine of them so he's just been on the cusp this whole time and and i think it's the nature of the nature of the draw here yeah i agree with you and look another guy plays low plays flat can change direction on you dangerous player now again you have that weapon that you can hurt him with i don't think benoit paired does uh you look at who he's going to match up with moving forward all of these guys seem to have weapons left in the draw uh, so it's going to be very interesting but then our last match of the day guido paya not a guy known for his success on any surface but the clay the number 26 seed coming into this event knocks off number 15 seed and it feels like everyone's dark horse prediction everyone thought they were being the clever one saying oh i could see milos rayonich making the semifinals and they're silent you know polite canadian way and instead Guido Pea knocks out Rayonich 3-6-4-6-6-3-7-6-8-6 to make the first quarter major quarterfinal of his career I feel like a lot of the tennis was monotonous in this one but Pea another guy Rothman sometimes he's running around his forehand I'm like nope he's not getting around this one it's hitting him in the and then it's like oh my god he did it like what the heck is going on and he did that a lot against Rayonich we were like no way and, and somehow but uh this was, I think, you know, just a case of Ranich being so not clutch. It's so many different opportunities in this match. So not clutch. <laughs> it's true. Like it's it's crazy. Like I'm gonna how- be honest, Milos. You go into the locker room. I'm gonna be honest today. It's not anything about the tennis, but dude, you are just you are so not clutch today. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> He's not. He. He literally. Not only was he not clutch, he was just stupid at times. I was that watching. I can agree with. But I think that's part of not being clutch. Look, you're you're at six all in a fifth set and just making some stupid shot choices. I 
know. I, I, it was disappointing. I, it almost looked like he didn't want to win. Well, my counter is Milos has one speed, right? And it's big. And it's I will say this. Milos used to have not good hands. He now has very passable okay. hands. Okay like, hands. Yeah. yeah, I would say passable, serviceable. They're like, you're with his serve, if you can volley at that level, you're going to have success, right? But again, and this is not a news flash. you know, Milos Raonic now, what, 27 years old, 28 years old. There's no plan B. He's going to hit through you. He's going to try and, you know, be the rocket man going down the line with the missiles of forehands and missiles of backhands. And if you get him stretched on the backhand slide, he's going to hit a slice. Uh, and Paya just did a very disciplined job. Like, he did to Raonic what Warinka tried to do to Opelka, only he was a little bit more aggressive in taking his chances to, you know, when, when the court really opened for him, just go big down the line, take that risk. And, it, you know, coming back from two sets down, 8-6 in the fifth, thin margins, but it worked. I think you captured it perfectly right there. Look, Ranich came into the net 110 times. He won 74 110 times. 110. I don't I mean, think – I'm trying to, like, do – that is ridiculous. I may have done 110 times, like, in the entire boys' 12s. Like, that's about my net number. He won 165 points. 74 of them were net points. Yeah. I wonder if he doesn't have a plan B. It sounds like he's only got, like, a plan A. What was his unforced error count? Uh, 80 winners to 46 unforced errors. See, that's pretty good. Honestly, that's 8-6 in the fifth level good. Like, again, Milos does what he does, but Paya got the breaks. And in a match that, you know, 8-6 in the fifth, that'll do it. Look, he also, Peo with 3 of 12 break points, not a great conversion. Same with Ranich, 3 of 13. It is a little, you know, back and forth here, but yeah, it came down to a few points here or there. And Ranich had actually more total points won. So, uh, like I said, not clutch. Stupid question, but as a fellow big server, again, for our level, put it equivalency, when you're playing someone with a big serve, yeah, like Um, club level, dude, oh my god, Ice Nishioka, yeah, you also hit 17 serves long before you made the one. I serve as hard as a lot of these guys, so I don't want to get a shit Here it comes, here it comes. Dude, Uh, when... When Guido Pea is out there serving 115 miles an hour and you're telling me that I'm not serving bigger than him, you're full of shit. Dude, again, I get that you want to swear right now to make it harder for me to write down these edits so that I can't have a comeback, <laughs> but you're wrong. Like, I, yeah, you have the you have a live shoulder. Oh, look, I com- how many people flatteringly have I compared you to? I don't need to start flattering yeah, you anyways, again. Yeah, keep What going. I'm saying is when you're playing someone like that, do you get frustrated? Are you like, uh, like, I, I don't know how Guido pay it at, at, you know, six all in the fifth. I'd be like, how long have we been doing this? Oh my God. Another yeah. one out wide Milos. Like, you know, I'm a lefty. Stop doing it. <laughs> I mean, no, you, you do what you, you know what you have to it's do. Like, you dude, just gotta this is why I don't like hitting with you. Cause I'm like, you really had to try and hit that forehand like that again. Like, can't we just rally this point? Can't we just get a sweat in? I mean, we, we do. It's just, you can't handle the, the heat, you know? <laughs> I'm just not breaking down the Rayonich pitch. I'm saying 8-6 in the fifth deserves a breakdown. The reason we're not doing it, it, it was very monotonous. You, knew, ex- you knew exactly what it was. Exactly, and that sort of discipline from Peya, it's certainly why he deserves to be where he is in this tournament. But with that being said, our final thing we want to do, preview tomorrow's matches. We've got four quarterfinal matches on the women's side, taking all of our attention. Obviously, there's doubles, mixed doubles as well. And I will, quick plug here, but the Winnetka Challenger back in action on the men's side. 
I was like trying to watch because Kozlov and Escobedo got. Do you, oh, I could do like five minutes right now on Kozlov, Escobedo, and what I saw from them. I, I really like. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Uh, but, but we agreed we'll cut out Twitter Tuesday, so I'll cut off that. But the point is, a ton of great tennis tomorrow outside of Wimbledon. But we have to look at these four to quarter, four quarterfinals. Fun fact for you before we start, Rothman: the number one and two seeds on the women's side at both the Australian Open, French Open, and Wimbledon's have not advanced past the fourth round in any of those events this year. Uh, so it really is a wide open field, and the first match we'll start with uh, the two players in this field who have not ever played each other. Allison Risk, the American, taking on number 11 seed, Serena Williams. This is Risk's first career major quarterfinal, although as we mentioned, she's had success on the grass before and obviously comes into this tournament with probably the best and most impressive path to the quarterfinals. We talked about you know what we think it's going to take from Risk, but just you know your assessment of this match heading in, Rothman. Uh, I, I'm worried that it could be an absolute beatdown. I, that I emotional it, hangover, a three-set win over the number one seed, and then you're like, and now I have to play Serena? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, I think Serena just has the, the ability. Look, I, I think Risk did really well with a player like Barty who's going to put a lot of balls in the court, and she can you know, take some of them early and, and push her down the line. Serena's not going to do any of that. She's going to, you know, hit big winners, push her off the court, and if Risk can't find a way to, you know, put some pressure on Serena, uh, I'm I'm worried that it's going to go downhill quick. I completely agree. But at the same time, with the returns, we talked about the returns. If she can put some pressure there, that is where she can put Serena on her back feet a little bit and, and you know, maybe well, make some room for herself. Well, look, I think it's a very interesting thought exercise because names aside, Rothman, who would you take as the favorite heading into a match? The player who is, you know, the number 11 seed who's only lost one set through this entire tournament or the player who's played four three-set matches but has knocked off, you know, the Belinda bench, has knocked off three seeds, one of which being Ashley Barty in the dominant fashion they did. Uh, now, that player you'd imagine is pretty worn out and you know she's playing a player who had just won two and two but it's tough it really is tough what I asked you to hold this earlier what's the Bavada line yeah so so the Bavada line here risk plus 295 Serena minus 400 that means people are pretty confident in Allison risk that's what that tells me because Nadal's like minus 2000 or something or Djokovic is minus 2000 so what that tells me is that the people are thinking Risk has a shot. Yeah, it really is going to come down to if Serena makes, you know, I think over 75% or over 70% of her first serves, this match is over. But if she's hovering in that high 50s, low 60s range, Risk is going to have chances. And if if we've seen anything, we know she is not afraid right now. She is playing her best tennis. She talked, I think, in a press conference of she just doesn't want this run to end. You know, win or lose, no matter what, she just doesn't want to leave Wimbledon. And that sort of era, or, you know, aura just around you, it it's what leads to a special week. It, it And it has. It absolutely has. So uh, I think it, it either goes one of two ways. We either see Serena absolutely whoop her. Or we see risk, risk in you know. three. Mm-hmm. All right, so make a pick. I'm putting you on the spot. Serena's whooping her. I want to disagree with you. Uh, I might see Jonathan Kelly this weekend in Winnetka, so in case he he listens to this, I'll take Allison Risk in three. 
Um, <laughs> but all right, moving on to our next match, uh, we've got Barbara Strikova, who I mentioned three and two in grass warm-up events, lost in the Birmingham semifinals to Barty. Uh, but prior Wimbledon results, she made the quarterfinals here in 2014. However, it's only her second major quarterfinal in 53 major main draw appearances. She's taking on number 19 seed Joe Conta, three and two in grass warm-up events herself. But as I mentioned, a 27. T- 2017 semifinalist here has made three total slam semifinals in her career, including this uh, the one at the French Open just before this. Rothman, your favorite heading into this one? Oh, I should add, Strick of a 1-0 career head-to-head, but it was in 2017 in Tokyo. 5-6, and six, so a close match. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to go with Kanta, right? I, I, I think just considering her, her run so far... Kanta is minus 245 to Strickova, plus 195. So, again, people, you know, somewhat confident in, in Strickova's ability here. But I, I just like the way Kanta's been playing and, and the way that their game styles match up. Uh, I'm going to go with Kanta. And, look, both of these players coming off of physical three-set matches. For Kanta, she's played two three-set matches, uh, two in a row. Her last one against Sloane Stevens, then against Kvitova. So, again, you look at that sort of similar to the risk in that that draw looks, you know, about as tough as you could have played. For Strikova, you know, she's lost one set herself, but she's still alive in doubles. Has had, a, I guess, you know, pretty impressive from her knocks down Mertens, Burton, Stikova, and Sigmund. I mean, Burton's and Burton. Yeah, I think you like that. Hey, great Sorry. shot. Um, no, it's a, it's an either or. I I think you probably favor Kanta, given again that she has made a major semifinal in her career, and not only that, but she made it the tournament before. Uh, but it is her home event, right? If anything's you're playing on center court again, does it get to you? What's going on? It's gonna. I probably like Kanta just because of the way I thought the way she adjusted to the circumstances against Kvitova. She played aggressive when she needed. She played defensive when needed. Just given her run of success recently, she's probably the slight favorite in my mind, but probably hit the over on games no matter what. Well, if you want to, if you want to take the over on games, twenty-one and a half. That that's your line. So here, five so. and six. So it was five and six when they played in Tokyo. That is twelve plus thirteen, twenty-five matches. I could see a score line like that. Yeah. Look, the the only other thing I wanted to say, Conte just coming off the semifinal run, like you said at, at Roland Garros, she's been at, to a semifinal here at Wimbledon, so she knows what it's like. I I really do think with that sort of experience too. You know, uh, unlike Strikova, who hasn't made it to us has made a quarterfinal here so you know has seen some success on the grass I, I just i think you have to go with conta yeah i agree with you well i'll probably take conta as well well then let's get to our next one svitolina versus mukova svitolina leads their career head to head one and oh uh she beat her at the 2019 doha quarterfinal six four six two We've talked about Makova, her fourth ever major. We mentioned all that stuff earlier. She was 0-1 in, in warm-up events, but it was a three-set loss to quarterfinalist Allison Risk. So, again, in context, not too bad. You know, this has obviously been a great run for her. Svitolina, 0-2 in grass warm-up events. Her best uh, result at Wimbledon, as I mentioned, fourth round in 2017, but hadn't had that much success coming into that. She has, though, made four other major quarterfinals in her career, so obviously uh, the more experienced player heading into this one. Given what you've seen from both of them, Rothman, your favorite is? I think you have to go Svitolina. Mukova's got to be drained after that push. I match. could not she, agree more. Right? That's the X really, factor. Yeah. Is she really going to do you know another 
you know, thriller match against Svitolina, I, I don't think so. Yeah, meanwhile, Svitolina coming off of a straight set win, playing better and better. I agree. I think this is a pretty simple one. I think Murkova, it's, Murkova is just going to take such an effort to beat a player who, again, will wear you down physically like Svitolina does. I just think it's going to be too tough for her to overcome. But then with that being said, our last match of the day, number seven seed Simona Halep versus uh, Shui Zhang. Career had to head Zhang leads two to one, getting two wins during the 2016 season, but they have not matched up since then. For Zhang, she was two and three during the grass season. Heading into it, she's made one at ma- other major quarterfinal in her career. That was at the Australian Open in 2016. But in doubles, she was the 2019 Australian Open doubles champion and has had other success late in majors on uh, in those types of events. For Halep, she lost in the quarterfinals of Eastburn to I believe Angelique Kerber in her only warm up. She was a 2014 semifinalist here at Wimbledon and 2016-17 made the quarterfinals. I mean, Halep's got to be the decisive favorite. Yeah, I mean, it, not even close. Look, it, Zhang with a really good win over Wozniacki uh, in in her second round match, but you know, hasn't made... This is her first time past the first round in Wimbledon. You know, made a quarterfinal in Australian Open in 2016 and hasn't been past a third round since, so... I don't know, kind of a miracle run for her here to make it to the quarterfinal. I think this is a no-brainer straight set win for Simona Halep. Hmm, I agree with you, and so that would set up quite an interesting semifinal if we got Williams versus Conta and Svitolina versus Halep. That I'd would like be to some, see that. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Well, with that being said, look, I'm. there's been so much tennis, it's hard to keep up. If you've missed any of the action, I will ask you listeners, go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. All of our content up there to keep you guys up to date on all the goings-on in the tennis world. It's not just Wimbledon, as we mentioned. Challenger tennis, college tennis, the world of tennis never falls asleep. So go check that out. Check out our other podcasts, of course, the Cracked Interviews podcast, the Great Shot podcast, What the Deuce. Like, rate, subscribe, review them, please. We are still trying to give away free gear to anyone. Not even trying. We are willing to give away free gear to anyone who leaves us a little review. So please go do that. It takes like... But two minutes, you know, easier to do that than, you know, watch a Milos Raonic match on and on and again. So just go give that a quick pop. Um, you know, Rothman, uh, it's, as I mentioned, uh, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. Any final thoughts? Well, we didn't really do a, a quarterfinal breakdown for the men. Not that we really need to. We'll do it tomorrow. Save that for tomorrow's podcast because that's obvious content to set up for Wednesday. Perfect. Yep. I, I forgot that we've got the nice little break. Uh, obviously, I want to give my quick takes because I, I won't be on it. But Djokovic is going to win over GoFen in four. Batista Agut is going to beat Pea in four. Query is going to somehow get a set off Nadal. Also, Nadal is going to win in four. And Federer is going to win in four. It's going to be four four-set matches. Boom. Ooh. That reminds me, uh, funniest tennis Twitter meme I saw today since you got one, and I'll throw in one. Or it wasn't today, but it was during the week. Nick Kyrgios, I think, on his own has won more games against Nadal than, like, every other then, player he's faced. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's great. That, I love that. That is hilarious. Also, uh, you know, now that you, you brought us back into that little realm. No, Coco no, got fine. Coco got 500,000 followers in five days, Dude. which is hilarious. So and then – just a, a little shout out because I we we've interviewed Stephen you know Armitage a, a couple times and uh, you know his fiance is Allison Risk and uh, some fan really wanted to see her match and they on Twitter granted uh, this fan tickets so you know nice that they're 
good, good Samaritans on their part. Very cool. Steven Amartash at Cracked Interviews guest. So, again, go check those podcasts out. But with Hell that yeah. being said, a huge shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always, and have been keeping busy all Wimbledon long. We cannot do this without them, so huge shout-out to them. But with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Maxwell Labauer-Roth, and for our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maxi, what was the thing Tennis Sandgren was unable to do against Sam Query throughout the entire match? Well, grammatically speaking, that would be, you know, he didn't get the break, but that's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.